My name is Ben. Uh, I'm from Warsaw. And uh, how many guys know where Warsaw is? And I grew up in Warsaw, and I'm a pastor at a church uh, in Warsaw. And I grew up at that church. And I remember when I was a young man, when I was a young teenager, our church decided to send uh, a team of young people on a missions trip to Chicago. And so, like, 15 of us or whatever jumped in the back of a uh, 12-passenger van and drove all the way to Chicago, as one does when you're a young person. Um, and, and I remember being crammed in the back of this, uh, this 12-passenger van, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but I, it must have been summer because I remember that it was unbearably hot in the back of that van, and they had the windows in the back that just push out a tiny bit, if you know what I mean, just a tiny bit, and we like putting our faces down there trying to get a little bit of air. Um, so we went to Chicago uh, to, on this little missions trip there. We worked with a church in the city, uh, and we did like a kids program. We did a lot of renovation at their church, some different things like that. But I remember uh, as we were driving out there, and I believe, if I remember right, it was the first day we got there, or as we were getting into the city, um, we, were, we were driving in, we were stuck in traffic, because it's Chicago, and, and I was in the back of the van, and one of our leaders, one of our team leaders, says, all right, guys, we're almost at our ministry place. Would anyone like to pray? And it was just totally silent. If you've ever asked a group of young teens who wants to pray, it's pretty normal. Um, it's crickets all around. And, and then so our, our leader gently but uh, challenged us quite a bit. He said, what's wrong with you guys that nobody wants to pray? And I remember he said, don't you understand? It's a privilege to pray. It's not a chore. It's not like a task that you have to do that nobody wants to do that we're trying to you know, get somebody else to do. Um, it should, we should be jumping at the opportunity to pray. We should never be reluctant to pray. And what he said stuck with me. It's a privilege for us to pray. Now, I got to say, I really love how Pastor Jeff uh, took a moment there and asked for anyone who needed prayer and, and had people raise hands. And it was cool to watch the church quickly gather around those who needed prayer, and, and pray for them. We should never be reluctant to pray. So this morning, we're going to talk about prayer. Um, and now, you don't have to raise your hands, because I don't want to know, but maybe you have, in your life, maybe you felt like you don't enjoy prayer. Maybe there have been times when you've avoided prayer. Maybe you've been reluctant to pray. Uh, and, and if you grew up in a church... Like, I grew up in a church. Sometimes I think we grew up with this overcomplicated idea about what prayer needs to be. And we got this idea in our head of what it's like to pray, what it's like when the pastor prays or when I hear my parents pray. And I think, I don't know that I can talk like that. I don't know if I can pray properly. And so I want to tell you, at the risk of oversimplifying it, as simple as I can tell you, prayer is talking with God. Prayer is just talking with God. It's just telling him what you think and listening to what he thinks. It should, honestly, it should sound like you're having a conversation 
with a good friend. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. In fact, hear me say this. Prayer doesn't have to sound spiritual. Prayer can just sound like a conversation. And actually, I think conversation is an awesome way to think about it. Because hear me say this. Conversation builds relationship. And without conversation, there's no relationship. Without conversation, there's no relationship. Let me tell you guys, anyone else, I have some good, good, good friends that I have no relationship with. You know, like we grew up as good friends, we were best friends forever, and we don't talk anymore. And it's not because we had a fight or we disagreed or whatever, just we stopped having conversation. They moved away, got a different job, our lives went different directions. We have kids, and you know what that does to your lifestyle. And there's no conversation. And without conversation, there's no friendship. There's no relationship. And that, I would argue, is why prayer is so important. Because prayer is our conversation with God. Think about this. Without relationship, okay, without relationship with God, then nothing that we do as Christians really makes any sense. It really doesn't. If there's no relationship with God, then why do we all get together and sing on Sunday morning, right? If it's just singing then. Or why are we giving our money? If there's no relationship with the Lord, what if it's just a tax write-off, basically. It's a charitable donation. Really, without relationship, the church just becomes a big Boy Scout troop. And don't get me wrong, I had nothing wrong with Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts are great. But God made me for more than that. And God made you for more than that. He made you for more than just to be a good person who comes to church and sings and donates money. He made you for relationship. God wants friendship with you. That's what the Bible tells us. We were made to be friends with God. But you can't have friends without conversation, right? So that's why prayer is so important. So this morning, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to look at a passage in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, you could open your Bibles or you can turn on your phone and uh, turn on, open your app, as I, as I know many people do these days. And we're going to Luke chapter 11. And here, we're going to talk about prayer. So let's look at the person who knows the most about it, who can teach us the most about it. And that's going to be Jesus. Um, and this is a great passage here in Luke 11. This is Jesus having a conversation with a few of his disciples, and he's just sharing with them, as friends, some of his thoughts on prayer. And so I love to look at what he says here and, uh, and see what we can learn. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. I'm going to stop right there. Do you notice anything odd about that first sentence? Jesus was praying in a certain place. Just go with me here. Think about it. Jesus, he's the son of God. He was with God in the beginning. He is God. If Jesus is God, then who is he praying to, right? Who is God praying to? Let me ask you this. When we think about prayer, we usually think it's our time to ask God for something, ask God to do something, right? But what does Jesus need 
What is Jesus? He has all the power, all the authority, all the resources of God. What does he need to ask for? I think there's something really important here. He's not praying because he needs something. He's praying because he wants relationship. He wants to know what the Father's thinking. And he wants to tell the Father what he's thinking. He's not just coming because I need this to get done. He's saying, I want to spend time with the Father. And this is cool because this isn't the only time in Scripture where it tells us that Jesus went alone to pray. What we read in the Scriptures is he often made time to spend with the Father. So one, Jesus, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples, they said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So when he's finished praying, you see his disciples, are, they say something curious. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. So at this point in the story, these, uh, these disciples, these 12 young men have been traveling with Jesus. They've been living life with Jesus. They've been watching him minister. They have seen him multiply bread and they've seen him, you know, heal blind people and uh, lame people. They've seen him do all kinds of miracles and they see this miracle-working man, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. They don't say, teach us to do miracles, teach us to multiply bread, teach us to walk on water. They say, teach us to pray. I believe they saw something in his relationship with God, and they said, I want that. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I got to imagine these young men were Jewish, they were Jewish, and as young Jewish men, i got to believe that they were taught to pray at some point. They, they grew up in a very uh, religiously structured culture. And so they would have been taught, they would have gone to the synagogue. They would have heard prayers. In fact, they probably memorized some prayers. They knew the words. But when they saw Jesus pray, they saw something different. They saw a relationship. And they said, teach us to pray like that. Teach us to have a relationship with God like you have. That's what we want. <clears throat> and so Jesus hears their request, and he teaches them a lesson. And he teaches them a prayer. It's a prayer that I'm guessing many of you know well. It's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so let's look at that real quick. The next couple of verses, we have what Jesus' response to them. It's this prayer he gives them. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the words to this prayer are, are widely known. It's an often memorized verse. In fact, I can hear people reciting it even as I was reading it. Because many of you know the words to this prayer. But I don't think that Jesus intended for us to memorize and recite only the words to this prayer. Now, I do think it's a beautiful prayer. I do think it's a good thing for us to memorize it. I think it's a good prayer to recite. But I don't think he was saying, this is the one and only way that you ought to pray. Learn these words. I think he was teaching us a lesson. There are some very important principles in this short prayer that he wants us to get. So I'm going to look at those things, okay? 
The first lesson right out the bat is the word father. Jesus teaches us that we approach God like a loving father. We approach him like a loving father. And for the Jews in that day, and maybe for some of us in this room, that's a big deal. That's a change of perspective. Sometimes we think of God as so far beyond us, so far above that we don't have a relationship. We don't have a closeness with him. And Jesus came to burst that bubble and to tell you that he is your father. He is your loving father. Now, some of us have good relationships with our fathers. Some of us had difficult relationships with our fathers. Some of us have no relationship with our father. And so when you hear that word, <clears throat> father, that might bring up different ideas for you, different feelings, different, with different memories. But I want to tell you that your father in heaven is a good, loving, caring father. And whatever might have happened to you in this world with your relationship with your own father doesn't change the fact that your father in heaven loves you. It doesn't change the way that he cares about you. And that's the way that Jesus teaches us that we ought to approach him. That's the way that we can come to him, is as a loving father. So the prayer begins, it says, Our Father in heaven, recognizing that he is exalted, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Sacred is your name. It's something that I take very seriously. And then he adds, Your kingdom come, and your will be done here on earth. And really what he's saying is, whatever you want, it's fine with me. Your will, your plan, whatever you want to do. Lord, I, I, you're smarter than I am. You got a better plan than I do. And so whatever you want is good with me. This reminds me of this, is an old adage, father knows best. Uh, I haven't heard that uh, in a while recently, but how many of you guys remember hearing people say, Father knows best? Um, and I got to tell you, uh, I, I'm a father. I have three young kids. As a father myself, I got to tell you, I don't know that that's actually true. <laughs> you know, there's definitely some times when I don't know what to do. Uh, um, but I can tell you with our Father in heaven, we can rest assured that our Father, in fact, does know best. As a loving and a good father, we can trust that his will is the best thing. Even when his plan doesn't seem like the best thing. We might be thinking, God, you should just give me enough money right now to pay my bills or to buy a new house or to fix my car. That would be the best plan. But your will be done. You know best. Father, you could just heal me right now. One word and I would be healed of that sickness or that, that disease or that problem or that pain. And that would be the best plan. But your will be done. You know best. And that's what happens when we trust him like a father. We're not afraid to bring um, our concerns to him. We also are confident in trusting that he knows best. And whatever he chooses to do, we know is good for us. Amen? Talk to God like he's a loving father, and this encourages us to respect what he does, but it also invites us to approach him with comfort and familiarity. It's okay if you come into his presence 
and you ask him a question. He's got time for you. He's got time for you. I don't know how he keeps the world spinning and has time for each and every single one of us, but he does. He's got time for you. This is an easy idea to see um, with young kids. And uh, so, like I said, I'm a pastor at our church, um, and I work in the office. So if you, let's say, imagine you came to our church uh, during the week, and I'm in my office, and you came down the hallway, and you looked at my office, and let's say I was in my office, and I was on the phone. Now, you'd probably look at it and say, okay, well, here's a pastor at this church. He's obviously on a phone call. He's doing something important right now. I'm just going to wait a minute, and, you know, I don't want to interrupt whatever important thing he might be doing. Now imagine that my own kids come along, and I'm in the office, and I'm doing something, and I'm on the phone. What do they see? They don't see, oh, here's an important person. I better give him a little bit of respect, his privacy, and his time. No, they see this is my dad, and if I have a question, I'm going to go ask him. If I have a problem, I'm going to go tell him. If I want a piece of candy from his drawer, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get it. It doesn't matter that he's on the phone. It doesn't matter that he's in the middle of something. This is my father. This is my father, and I have a relationship. I'm close enough. It's okay if I interrupt whatever he's doing. Now, if you have young kids, you can probably envision exactly what I'm talking about. And it can be a little annoying when you're a parent, but I'm telling you, it's a good thing for us to recognize that God doesn't mind being interrupted by our prayers. He's never bothered. He's never annoyed. He's never frustrated that you're bringing something to him. In fact, it says elsewhere in the scripture, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He's inviting you to bother him with anything that might be bothering you. So then Jesus, as we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, then the next thing I see is that he um, invites us to admit our needs. He says, give us today some bread, forgive us our sins, and keep us out of trouble. These are some real simple, basic needs. And he says, Jesus is showing when we pray, we admit these needs to God. God, I'm kind of hungry. I could use some bread. And that's okay to admit our needs to God because this demonstrates dependence. Now, as parents, as like earthly parents, human parents, we want our kids, we don't want our kids to always be dependent, right? We want our kids to become independent and do some things for themselves, right? When your kid comes and says, I'm hungry, I want some bread, you say, well, you know where the kitchen is, go, go for it. Go help yourself. Um, or maybe go get a job and then get your own good food. <laughs> but our Heavenly Father he loves our dependence. He loves it when we come to Him and say, I need your help. I can't solve this problem by myself. I recognize that I need you, Father. And so that's why Jesus in this prayer teaches us dependence. Give us bread today. Forgive us for our sins and keep us out of trouble. We all have needs uh, to be met, and Jesus was teaching his disciples to bring these needs honestly before the Father. So we have our basic needs. We have our food, clothing, shelter, uh, these kinds of things that we all need, right? But we also have some other needs. We need love and acceptance. We need wisdom. We need encouragement. We need joy. And God is saying, it's okay if you admit that need to me. It's okay if you need love. It's okay if you need encouragement. 
It's okay to admit that. Another place in Scripture in Matthew 6, Jesus is doing another teaching on prayer. And in, in Matthew 6, he says this. He says, listen, when you pray, don't go babbling on like the pagans do. They think they're going to be heard because they use so many words. Don't be like that. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need even before you ask. So it would be ridiculous for us to be embarrassed to ask Him to admit our needs because, spoiler alert, He already knows that you need those things. He already knows you have needs. But He invites us to admit them. The other thing, by the way, that I love about that that last passage right there where he says, don't babble like the pagans and use many words. What that teaches us is keep your prayers simple. Keep your prayers simple. Keep them short and simple. Just tell him what you need because he already knows. You don't need to twist his arm or convince him or somehow like, you know, prove your case. Just tell him what you need. That's how Jesus, when he prayed, he said, give us a bread. Forgive our sins. Like I said earlier, Prayer doesn't have to sound spiritual. It's just conversation. You don't need to use many words. You don't have to use fancy words. You don't have to say thee and thou. And it doesn't have to start with dear Father in heaven. It doesn't have to end with in your name, amen. It can just be talking like you would talk to anyone else. You know, sometimes we feel like there are these requirements for what prayer is. I have to bow my head, close my eyes, fold my hands. I need to say these words. And I want to tell you, there's only one requirement for prayer. The only requirement for prayer is honesty. The only requirement for prayer is honesty. Are you being honest with him about what's going on? And I'll tell you, personally, this is one of the most valuable lessons I learned in my own spiritual journey is that God can handle brutal honesty. God can handle the honesty of my prayers. When I learned that it's okay to pray things like, God, are you even real? God, are you even listening? God, why did you let this happen? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like disrespectful, uh, disingenuous, but I'm being honest. I'm telling him, what I'm really feeling. And I think he appreciates the honesty. Because like I said, it's about relationship. And honest communication is what builds relationship. And so I think he appreciates the honest communication. So let's go back to Luke chapter 11. Where are we at here? Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He gives them the Lord's prayer. He, he, he teaches them to approach God as a father. Um, and then he follows this up with this story. So beginning in verse 5, we read this little story he gives them, kind of as a, as a little object lesson. He says, so suppose one of you have a friend, and he comes to you at midnight, and he says, friend, can you lend me three loaves of bread? A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one who's inside says, no, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I were in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will surely get up 
and give him what he needs. So in this story, it's like a, a little bit of an analogy, okay? So we have one friend uh, in the middle of the night coming to another friend and asking him to borrow some bread. And it's a bit of an analogy here. So here's what I see is the, the man who, he has a guest who arrives unexpectedly late at night and he doesn't have any food for him and he needs some bread. That man represents us and our needs. And we're willing to admit we have this need that we can't fill ourselves. So he goes to his friend's house to ask for bread. And the friend, I imagine, has a cupboard full of bread. And that man represents God, who has what it takes to meet the needs. So that's what we see in this analogy here. Jesus is teaching us here that we can pray with boldness. We can pray with boldness. So i got to be honest. When I first read this story, I was a little confused. Maybe you've read it before and thought the same thing. It was a little confusing because if I'm following properly, the man asks for bread and his friend says, no, mostly because he doesn't want to wake up the kids who just fell asleep, and I get that, right? But his friend says, no, don't bother me. It's too late at night. But then he keeps knocking, he keeps knocking, he keeps knocking, and eventually the guy says, fine, give you some bread. It says, not because he's his friend, but just because he kept bothering him. So is that telling us that if we bother God enough, eventually he'll give us what we want? Like, that's my problem with this story, is he saying, listen, God won't answer you right away, but just keep annoying him, eventually he'll give in. That, no, that, that might be true. It might work for us as human parents, right? But I don't think, that doesn't sit right with me. I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching us. I don't think he's teaching us to just keep bugging God for the things that we want. So I kept looking at it, and I'm like, it doesn't make sense. I kept praying about it. And then I looked at, um, the key to understanding this story is a word that's found in verse 8. Okay, so look at verse 8 in your Bible. It says, the friend will not get up, and he will not give him bread because he's his friend. Yet, because of the man's boldness or importunity, there's other words, um, persistence. Um, I saw the word uh, audacity in one translation. So there's a lot of these different words that are used in that spot right there, and that word is the key word how this man receives his bread. The character trait that Jesus is highlighting is persistent, audacious boldness in prayers. Not afraid to ask for what you need. So you might be thinking, why are there so many different words being used? You know, we were shouting out different words that we saw in the Bible. Why are there so many different words here? Um, it's because the word that was originally used in the Greek language when it was written, um, they're trying to find the right English word to express what that Greek word means. And so the words we've used are boldness and importunity and um, audaciousness. So I looked up the, the original Greek word, and disclaimer here, I didn't study Greek. I don't know a ton of Greek. I just know what I looked up in my Greek concordance. But the original Greek word here is ananiadeia. And it literally is two words broken together, and it literally means without any shame. Without 
any shame. That is how we approach our Father, without any shame, without any embarrassment, without any feeling like, I shouldn't be asking God for this. I shouldn't be bugging him about this right now. This is my fault. I shouldn't be asking him to fix this problem. I should try to fix this myself. This problem is too, is too embarrassing, too silly, too small. No, we don't have any shame in the way we approach our Father. Think about this for a second. I just want you to imagine this for a second. Can you imagine being on your friend's doorstep in the middle of the night and knocking on the door and saying, hey, you got any pizza? I got a friend over and he's hungry. You got, any, you got anything in there? Can you imagine like going to your friend's house in the middle of the night and knocking on the door, waking him up and asking for some pizza? Now, if you can imagine doing that, if you can picture yourself doing that, which one of your friends can you imagine? If you had to pick a friend to go wake up in the middle of the night, who would it be? It's going to be your closest friend, right? It's going to be your closest friend. It's not going to be someone you don't know that well. It's not going to be your boss at work, probably. <laughs> um, it's going to be a friend or a family member, somebody that you're not embarrassed you don't mind annoying a little bit. You don't mind bugging a little bit, right? And so Jesus encourages us to bring our problems to God in the same way, without any shame, without any embarrassment, without any hesitation. Don't let anything keep you from God. In fact, Jesus encourages us to bring our problems to God. He encourages, I think, to... Um, to bother him, so to speak. So after teaching the disciples to pray with boldness, he goes on and he says, so I, I say to you, ask and it will be given. Ask and it will be given. I feel like that's a dangerous thing to say to something. Like, again, I said, I'm a father, I have three kids. I can't imagine saying to my kids, just ask me and I'll give it to you. Like, I feel like I'm opening the door, right? <laughs> but Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. If a son asks for bread from a father among you, would he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, would his father give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, would he give him a scorpion? No. So if you, being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what I see here is that when we pray, we pray with faith. We pray expecting that God is going to answer us. We have a loving Father, and we approach him without shame, and we expect he is going to answer us. We're not praying to the ceiling or to the sky or just into the void, we're praying to somebody who is going to respond. Now, I have a good friend um, who used to always say, probably still says, that it's impossible to pray and see nothing happen. It's impossible to pray and see nothing happen. But I'm going to be honest, that's a little, you know, sometimes life doesn't match that, right? I've had times when I've prayed for someone to get healed and they didn't get healed. When I prayed for uh, money and money didn't show up. When I prayed for you know a problem to get fixed and it was still a problem the next day, 
So it's, I'm like, he says it's impossible to pray and see nothing happen, but I feel like I've seen that happen before, right? I don't know if anybody else has been in the same boat. That can be hard to reconcile with life experience. So, but Jesus said, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. He promised us. So what's going on? What's the deal here? I'll put it like this. God doesn't always give us what we ask for, but he always gives us something good. God doesn't always give us what we ask for, but he always gives us something good. He doesn't always give it to us when we'd like, but it's always good. He doesn't always give it to exactly the way we'd want it, but he always does something good. Amen? Always does something good. The fact that God doesn't give you exactly what you ask for when you ask for it, that's hard to accept, but I think it explains why we see what we would call unanswered prayers, because it didn't happen the way we wanted to. But let me ask you, is the fact that he might respond to your prayer with something different than you asked for, is that a good reason not to ask him? If he's not going to do exactly what you want, is that a good reason not to bring him your problems? No. He's a good father, and he's going to do something good for you. If you can be willing to just trust whatever he wants. It reminds me... um, uh, uh, this time I had uh, some problems going on at my house. If you are a homeowner, you can probably relate to this. It always seems like there is something going on. If I remember, I think at the time there was a problem with some of the, the electrical uh, outlets in one of the rooms, and then the washing machine quit working, the dishwasher was leaking. There's always something, right? It's always something. And I remember thinking, God, this is so annoying. And I said, can you just give me a house that doesn't have problems all the time? Can I just have a house where things work and I don't always have to fix things? But as I prayed about it, as I was kind of like prayed and talked to God about it, I realized like what was really frustrating to me was not that like there was things to do. What frustrated to me is that there were problems that I didn't know how to solve. You know, I don't know how to fix a washing machine. I don't know how to fix a dishwasher. And I was like, God, I don't, I, I'm, frustrated. I'm tired of being face-to-face with these problems that I don't know how to solve. And like being like, should I call somebody? Can we afford to call somebody? Or what should I do? Should I take it apart and see if I can put it back together? Like, I don't know what to do. And And then God answered my prayer. And you know how he answered my prayer? More things on my house continue to break and continue to fall apart. It's true. Thank you, Lord, right? But each time something broke or stopped working, I looked it up, I talked to a friend, I called my dad, and I figured out how to fix it. And years later, guess what? My house still has problems, but but I know how to fix them. Or at least I know how to figure out how to fix them. And so in a way, he answered my prayer in a better way than I ever would have imagined. I mean, it would be nice to have a house where things never break, right? But that's not realistic, So instead, he gave me the skills and the temperament and the character to deal with those problems when they arise. Doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us something good. Amen? Amen. And even though God told us to ask him for whatever we need, the purpose of prayer is not getting what we need. The purpose of prayer is to to get to know God. It's for him to reveal his character to us. 
to reveal his nature to us. He wants us to ask because every time we ask in faith, we open the door for him to reveal himself. Every time we say, God, I have a problem, I need you to do something, we've just opened the door for him to show us something about himself. He wants more than just to meet our needs. He wants to know us more. Um, in the Message Bible, the Lord's Prayer is worded a little bit differently, and I love the way that it starts. It says this at the beginning. Instead of where we normally would read our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, in the Message Bible it's written, Father, reveal who you are. And I love that as a prayer. That's the heart of what we pray. Reveal who you are in this moment. So I started this morning and I shared this story about how I was on a trip with a group of teens to Chicago and our leader challenged us with, why don't you want to pray? And don't you realize it's a privilege to pray? And I decided in that moment when he was uh, gently reminding us about the privilege of prayer, I decided I'm never going to hesitate to pray. I decided that. I'm not going to hesitate to pray. So then he said, all right, who wants to pray? And I immediately was volunteer. I want to pray. And so then um, throughout our trip, we were there for about a week. And, you know, every day in the morning we would get ready to go to ministry and we would gather together, and he would ask for a volunteer to pray. And I was always the first person to volunteer. Anytime we gathered together and wanted prayer, I was the first one to volunteer. And it actually became kind of a joke in our team that they knew that Ben was going to be the one who was going to volunteer to pray. But I said, that's it. I'm never going to hesitate to volunteer to pray. Uh, near the end of our trip, one of the last days that we were there, well, we, were, we were staying in this like apartment that was down the street from the church. And in the morning, we got up and we got ready, and we uh, went down to the church to do ministry. But like as the team was was leaving, like uh, was was exiting the apartment, um, as a young teenager, of course, I decided that I had to go back into the apartment. And of course, I didn't tell the leader that I was leaving the group and go back to the apartment. And um, so then the the team went without me to the church, and I went up to the apartment, and I can't remember I got something I forgot. When I came back down, they were gone. And, but I knew where the church was because we'd been going there all week. It was just down the street. So I walked down the street to the, to the church. But because it's Chicago, like inner city Chicago, there's like gates in front of the church, and it's locked. And we didn't have cell phones back then. That's how old I am. There were no cell phones. And I knocked, and nobody answered. It was a big church. I didn't think they heard me or whatever. And so I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm sitting outside, and I'm locked out. Meanwhile, the team is inside. And they're getting ready for, to do the ministry. They were, like, doing some renovation stuff in the church. Before they get ready, the leader says, all right, before we jump in, does anyone want to volunteer to pray? <laughs> and it's silent. And that's when they realized, wait a minute. Where's Ben? And so then they sent someone down there to, to let me in. Um, and it's a funny story. It's a good story. But I like this story because it reminds me of my decision to be a person who's always quick to prayer. I want to be a person who's always quick to prayer. Brother Lawrence, in his well-known book, The Practice of the Presence of God, I don't know if you're familiar with that book. It's a beautiful book about the presence of God. But in his book, he has this quote, and I love this. He says, There is not in this world a kind of life more sweet and delightful 
than that of continual conversation with God. There's not a kind of life you can live that's more sweet than continual conversation with God. I love that. And he didn't say there's not a moment more sweet than a moment of prayer. He said there's not a kind of life than a continual conversation. That's the kind of life that I want to live. That's the kind of lifestyle that we were made to live, is continual conversation, continual friendship with God. So as I close this morning, I want to invite you to that conversation with God. I want to invite you to that lifestyle of continual conversation with God. Prayer is a privilege. And so when I invite you to this, I'm not challenging you to do something difficult. I'm not saying you need to spend more time in prayer. You need to be on your knees and bow your head. You need to dedicate more hours to it. I'm inviting you to something wonderful. I'm inviting you to be in a conversation with God, your loving Father, all day, every day. Amen? Who would like to close us in prayer? Um, Let me say a quick word to, to wrap us up, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. And I'm so grateful that you invite us to ask you for things. You invite us to come before you. So I'm asking you today and for the rest of this week, you would help us into that conversation. Forgive us when we're forgetful about it. Remind us um, and help us to be in that conversation this week. We thank you for all you do. We love you very much. Amen.